Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. As we continue in our Christmas series titled, Tis the Season, think about what the holiday season means to you. Is it about money, gifts, family, or is it truly about the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior? Our prayer is that you understand what Christmas is all about by listening to today's message. Morning. Glad you are here, man. Um, really praying to God that God does incredible things today and uh, just believing that he is. And I know that this weekend for a lot of you has been crazy uh, with football games and with uh, shopping and with all kinds of things. But I pray that today um, as we worship together, as we continue to worship through the word, that God will do some awesome stuff in our hearts. Um, I want to welcome you. If you're a first time guest here, man, we're excited you're here. Um, our prayer for you is the same as for everybody, that God moves in your heart, that we come closer to Christ, that there's a greater revelation in our heart and our spirit of who he is, and uh, that today we, we run headlong into the, the amazing, incredible love and grace of Jesus that can change the hardest of hearts and set us free to live uh, for his glory. And uh, so um, just praying that that happens today. i tell you what. Let's go ahead and jump in. Um, there's a lot of things I could say, but I really just want to get into the message today. Uh, this is something that the Lord has really been speaking to my heart this morning. And you can turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're, we're in our second week of this series called Tis the Season. Um, and we're looking at a lot of different things that this, uh, this season can become about. Um, and, and then looking at what this season should really be about. And we probably all know what it should be about. It should be about Christ and the coming of Christ and his life and even his death and his resurrection that we could be set free from our sin and live for him. But today I really want to focus a lot on um, how this season has the tendency to just become about us. It has the tendency to be the season of selfishness, um, the tendency to be the season of uh, unbridled desire as we go and we we spend money we don't have. We do different things um, trying to uh, fit our needs and trying to fill our needs when the reality of it is we really have one need, a need for Jesus, a need for our hearts to be healed. And it's so easy for us to get away from that. So we're going to focus today, it is the season for selfishness, which then leads us to a season that we tend to just go through the motions um, with God. I pray that today we'll be encouraged, we'll also be convicted, and that we'll move closer to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to serve you. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to know you. Father, I pray with all my heart right now that this message, God, does not come with any type of persuasive words or with wisdom from man, but that it comes with the power of the living God. Wake us up today to the reality of who you are, to the reality of your love, the reality of your power. God, let us set our eyes firmly upon you and quit running after empty clouds, God, that promise rain, yet do not deliver. Pierce our hearts with the power of your spirit. And use even an imperfect man today to speak the words of a perfect God. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Holy, amazing name. Amen. Amen. Here's one thing that I think we can all agree on. Um, 
And I say this a lot because it's true, but 10 out of 10 people are what? Selfish. Yeah, I've said that enough. A lot of y'all have learned that. And it's just true. And, and there are a lot of ways I can point out our selfishness. There's a lot of ways that, that I could talk about how um, selfish we are. I, I actually had a list of questions I was going to ask um, that, like, it would have made everybody squirm, right? Every, I promise, like, if I had gotten through halfway through the list, if I had not stepped on your toes by, by the last one, they would have been stepped on, right? Because... I mean, it was just, just obvious questions that we see. I'm not going to ask all those questions, questions like, you know, men, do you really pursue your wife as Christ loves the church? Or do you really go more after your selfish desires? I would not necessarily ask that question. Do you pursue her harder in the bedroom or do you pursue her more outside of the bedroom? Or is it just when you want? I could ask questions like that, right? And, and, and women, like, are you nagging him to hell? Are you loving him to Christ? I, I mean, we could ask questions all day long, parents. You know, parents, are you leading your children to Christ or are you just leading them to the ball field? You know what I'm saying? You just carrying them to the ball field or actually carrying them into a relationship with Jesus? I could, I could ask questions like that. Single girls, single guys, are you willing to sacrifice an impure relationship to pursue Christ? I could ask all those questions, man. And like, and, and so many more. Like, do you really follow the desires of your heart or the desires of God's heart? Right? I mean, and here's the thing. God punched me in the face with so many of those questions this week, I mean, in a good way, He's, he, he, it wasn't a hard punch, just a little punch. And, and, but it really began to pierce my heart. It really began to make me think about what's really important in life. What is it to me? And I realized that 10 out of 10 people are selfish. You don't have to go any further than children to realize that. One of the first words all of my kids learned was no. Hey, buddy, come here. No. I know you're two, but I will tear you up. Come here. No. Come here! And still no response. And, and, and the next, one of the next words they learned was mine. Mine. Everything's mine. Get in the truck, mine. My truck. It ain't your truck. If it's your truck, then you make the payments. <laughs> and, and you realize it's just something that we all deal with. It's just something that tends to rear its ugly head in our life. And, and we see this. And, and the problem with selfishness is this, it, that it leads us to neglect what is important. We end up neglecting the important things of life because our flesh screams out so hard. We begin to put work ahead of family. We begin to put gifts ahead of presence. Not like presence, like gifts presence, but being present. We would rather build a house than build a home. We, all these things, and we all deal with these things. There's not one person in here today who is immune to it. We all struggle with this issue of selfishness. And I want you to hear something out of 2 Timothy 3 today that I believe is so important to our lives. We're going to read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And I want you to understand what causes us so many times to wake up in a place where we don't feel life, we don't feel the love of God, we don't feel empowered by God, we simply feel beat down, we simply feel washed up, we simply feel done. And our relationship with Jesus, if we've ever had one, has become nothing but a source of frustration because all we really try to do are follow and obey a bunch of rules. Listen to this in 2 Timothy 3, beginning... 
in verse 1, it says, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. Timothy was like his son. He, he calls him his spiritual son. He speaks of him very highly. He literally raises Timothy in the faith and he becomes a trusted worker with Paul for the gospel. And Paul tells Timothy this. He says, but mark this. In other words, count on this. This that I'm about to tell you is going to happen just as sure as the sun comes up tomorrow and it came up today and it has come up for millions of years. This is going to happen. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. The very next verse says people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves. They'll become selfish. Life will be all about them. I think we may be in the last days. You know what I'm saying? Selfishness is at an all-time high. You watch television. Who is life about, right? According to every commercial on TV, who is life about? Us. You. And if we can only have that one extra thing, man, our life will be complete. He says, people will be lovers of themselves. And listen to all this other list of things that come along with being lovers of yourself. You'll be lovers of money. Money's not bad. The love of money is bad. You'll be boastful. You'll be proud. You'll be abusive. You'll be disobedient to their parents. Amen. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love. Unforgiving. Slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal. Not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Did anybody find anything in there that might have spoken to your heart? Right? Like, I could check off most of these things. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, all these different things. And most of us can find ourselves in each one of these. And here's the problem. And this is where most of us live. That that selfishness, those things, when we become lovers of self, it leads us into a trap that we find in 2 Timothy 3.5. It says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And it's such a stern warning. It's such a big issue that Paul says, have Nothing to do with these people. And I look at that and I'm like, but Paul, I kind of feel like I am one of those people. I feel like I am one of those people that that has a tendency to drift towards self because I do. Because there's something in me that that wants to gratify me. The heck with everybody else. I want to gratify me with my time, with money, with my image. That people would think good things about me. That I quit trying to persuade people that God is good and I try to persuade people that I'm good. That's where most people in here, if not every single person, is living their lives. Trying to persuade people that they are good rather than trying to persuade them that God is good. Here's the reality. You cannot persuade people that you're good because you're not. I can't persuade people that I'm good because I'm not. And in fact, if we think we are good, it is only because we have lowered the standard to the pitiful, marred expression of humanity that we see around us. And we are not looking to the standard of Jesus. We can't convince God that we're good. So many people live their entire lives in this religious attitude of trying to make God think I'm good. You're not. I'm not. 
The Bible says very clearly that our most righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. The best things we can do according to His holiness are unrighteous and filthy. And this effort to satisfy ourselves, to please other people, to make them think that we're good, to somehow make God think that we're good, leads us into a trap. How many of you have ever been caught in a speed trap? Anybody? Raise your hands. Like it goes from 55 to 20 in like 100 yards. I went out, uh, it's actually the first week of October, um, as a birthday present from my parents. My dad and I went out to Wyoming. Um, antelope hunting. I actually killed one. It's pretty cool. Um, crawling through cactus and stuff and getting it all in your knees. It was awesome. But did get to shoot an antelope. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, innocent little antelope in his harem of does. And bah, it was cool. And so we, uh, we go out there hunting. We went out to see the land we were going to be hunting on uh, the first day. We're on the way back to the hotel. I'm just cruising along. You know, it had been a long day. We had a, a flight into Denver. We went up and drove for a couple hours. And, and the next day we drove some more. And then we, we went on and, and looked at the land. We're coming back to the hotel. I'm pulling into the hotel um, to go check in and, and be able to lay down. Man, I was just like, I'm just tired. I just want to lay down. And something catches my eye. And I look in the rearview mirror and there's blue lights behind me. I'm like, what? what did, I didn't do anything. I looked at my dad. I was like, what did I do? He's like, I don't know. And this guy comes up with his little protege on the other side, and both of them are like this. I'm like, we're going to die. <laughs> I don't even know why, but we're about to die. And, and, and so he comes up, and, he, and he, I roll down the window, and he's like, license and insurance. I'm like, I'm in a rental car, dude. I ain't got any insurance. Well, let me see the rental agreement. I'm like, all right, don't be so testy. I get the rental agreement. Give it to him. Give him my license. He goes back to his car. He comes back a minute later and he says, sir, I caught you speeding. He told me the amount that I was over the speed limit. And then he told me, um, you know, how fast I was going and all that fun stuff that they do. And then he writes me a ticket and he says, this will be $260. But the good news is I knocked off $10 because you had on your seatbelt. Like, man, you are gracious and generous. Let the Lord's favor be upon you. <laughs> and I was furious. I mean, it literally took me like 24 hours to get over it. And, and, but you kind of understand it because I was driving like a bat out of Hades, man. I was going 34 miles an hour in a 20 mile an hour zone. <laughs> that happened to be a school zone. With one little flashing light off to the sides of a five lane highway. That was blocked by a semi-truck when I was in the left-hand lane. I swear, because I didn't see it. And he comes up to the window and he says, Sir, do you know how fast you're going? Why do you ask me? I don't. Obviously, I don't. He's like, you were going 34 and a 20. I was like, why don't you lock me up and send me to the chair? Because I am a heathen and, you know, I kill innocent animals. Just go ahead. Just take me. And he, he comes in and he writes me this ticket and I was so furious. I just like went on up to the police station and paid it. And I was like, let's just get this done. And, and you know, it was so 
crazy because it was obviously a speed trap. We talked to the guy at the hotel and he's like, you wouldn't believe how many people they pull over right there. It's just the way they get it and they get money. And, you know, and then we had out of state plates. So, I mean, he's like, what can I write this ticket for? You know? And so he just writes me this huge ticket for going 34 in a 20. It was obviously a trap. And when I look at the scriptures, I see Paul trying to warn us of these traps in our lives and these things that can come into our lives and hinder us from pursuing Jesus. These things that come into our lives and hinder us and begin to turn our eyes away from him and towards religious things. Because here's the truth. Religion makes us feel good. Religion is about self, not a relationship with Jesus. What do we do? We come to church and we sit in a seat for a little while on Sunday so that we feel what? Good. And nothing necessarily inherently wrong with that. But when that becomes our chief motivation, that we just come and do our duty and we walk out and nothing ever changes, that's an issue. Because here's what religion gets you. It gets you frustrated and it gets you burnt out and it gets you walking away from Jesus. And we all have a tendency to drift away from what Jesus has done for us on the cross, how he paid a price for us and walking towards what we can do on our own. It is in every single one of us. And this is where we end up in 2 Timothy 3, 5. Paul says, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power, have nothing to do with them. And I can tell you for most of us, including myself at times, and even recently, I have found myself having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And it is miserable. To not have the power of God working in your life and saying, I am going to live godly. That is ignorant. Is it not? Well, I'm going to live like God. What? There's a supernatural power that has to be at work in our lives. And it only comes through a relationship with Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning. Don't. Settle for less than Jesus. Than a relationship with Christ. Don't let this be the end point. This is just a place we gather to worship as the church, as the body of Christ. But this isn't the end. The end takes place when we go to be with Him. But until then, we are on a journey For the greatest prize that the world has ever known. Jesus. Not something else. And the one thing I want you to walk out of here making a commitment to today is I'm not going to settle in this Christmas season. I'm not going to settle for just trying to please myself or even my kids. I'm not going to settle. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to go after him. I'm going to go after him with everything in me. I'm not going to be someone who just has a form of godliness but denies the power of God because I've turned my face from him. Don't settle. You know, we begin to settle when we begin to to sleep. We begin to just kind of doze off. We begin to kind of Just let life begin to go by and and we forget that we do have an enemy who would love to come and steal and kill our joy. Who would love to come and steal and kill our life. And there's so many people, and I know because I see your faces in here every Sunday, and there's so many people that walk in here and you would rather be having dental work than be in church. 
And it's because we don't really live from a revelation of this God of glory that we have the opportunity to know. It's why so many people come in at 11 o'clock, 11.05. Because all we're doing up here is music. We don't realize we're singing to the King of Kings. We're singing to the Lord of Lords who's paid the great price for us to know Him. We're singing to a God of love who does not need us and does not require us but has chosen us anyway. That is an amazing God. That's a God we ought to be excited about. That's a God we ought to want to serve. And yet I can tell you there are days when I myself don't feel like serving Him because I have allowed myself to be lulled to sleep. I've lost my my diligence. I've lost the fact that I need to be alert and awake and realize exactly what 1 Peter 5, 8 says. Listen to this. He says, be self-controlled and alert. In other words, don't go to sleep. Don't drift off. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He says in verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. He said, be aware of this. Understand that there is an enemy that comes to try and kill and steal and destroy your joy. That comes to try to move you from a relationship with Christ to this religious mindset that is no longer about our heart and our heart being connected to Jesus. It's simply become about us going through the motions to fulfill our selfish desires and to soothe our aching conscience. So much of our faith and our faith life becomes about this. See, here's the reality. Satan knows that if he can simply turn our eyes from Jesus and put them on the things that that religion and man says that we have to do in order to be okay. He doesn't have to destroy our marriages. He doesn't have to destroy our families. He doesn't have to make us a jerk. He doesn't have to make us narcissistic. He doesn't have to make us bad parents. He doesn't have to make us lovers of everything but him. He knows if he can take our eyes off of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, then at the end of the day, we'll do that ourselves. Right? That apart from Christ, we are nothing. And there are people in here today, you've been in church for years and you've cleaned yourself up and you look pretty good on the outside, but on the inside, it is dead and it is dry. And you need the reality of the spirit of God to come in and awaken you because at some point in your faith journey, you begin to take your eyes off of Jesus and you begin to move into this religious mindset that as long as I show up on Sunday, as long as I do some type of Bible study, I'll be okay. And it's not working Because you're frustrated and you're dry and you don't even know why you do it anymore. And what we need is to be rekindled in the love of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we put our eyes on Him. He directs them onto the people into the world and we begin to live not for ourselves and in selfish desires, but for God and for His kingdom. And it's this reality that God loved us when nobody else did. Hello! There's people right here, right here, and right here, and right there, and right there, and back there that you know that everybody else had given up on you. And for many of you, you gave up on yourself, but God never gave up. 
Because he loves you. And you, and you listen. I'm watching marriages fall apart. I'm watching people walk away from the Lord. I'm watching people live miserable lives. I'm watching people struggle in bitterness and unforgiveness. And I want you to see today that it's not about you. It's not about anything. Your marriage is not going to survive unless you're in Christ, unless you know him, unless his love overshadows your life. You can't do it. And today I stand before you, begging you and pleading with you. Turn your heart to Christ. Don't let Satan lull you to sleep. Be alert. Be awake. Pursue him. Don't don't drift off. I got that ticket in Wyoming for one reason. I was tired. I kind of just drifted off. I was already in the hotel room in my mind getting a nap. And for some of us, we've got to realize that there's a point that will come when the blue lights are in the rearview mirror and it's too late. And it's not just about getting a ticket, but this short vapor we call life. I'm about to spit a short vapor that we call life is going to be over and it's going to be done. And what will we have wasted? What opportunity will we have wasted? We have lived it full of love and grace and the power of Jesus. We just wasted it all because we focus at best on man-made rules and so many other ways on ourselves. Don't waste your life in that way. God is love. And do our lives bring him glory? Yes. But they bring him glory. But we are so overshadowed by his love. And we are so walking with him in power. That our lives begin to take a shape that no one else could form. They begin to take a shape that is a working of the Holy Spirit. We don't settle for a form of godliness, but we have the power of Christ. I don't want you to settle. I don't want to settle. I don't want to be a pastor that simply leads you to a form of religion. Religion sucks and it only leads to frustration. I want you to be a people who is pursuing Christ. And some of you, that word bothered you when I said it because you're religious. We need to be a people who are pursuing and loving Jesus. At the end of the day, that's what matters. At the end of the day, if we'll focus on Him... Everything else works itself out. You will become a better husband. You'll become a better father. You'll become a better boss. You'll become a better employee. You'll become closer to the image of Jesus, but not by doing the things that you can do, but by pursuing and putting the effort. Listen, if most of us would exhaust all of our energy in pursuing Christ the way we do in pursuing other things, we would be amazed at the fruit in our life. But when we focus on ourselves and what we can do, we only end up with a form of godliness that denies the power of God. Don't settle. Don't settle for less. You have a God who loves you, who gave it all for you. 
who absolutely sees you as a worthy prize. Oh, if you could grab hold of the fact and you could live in the fact and you maybe even need to write down the fact that God loves you. And if you are in Christ, he sees you at, as his son. He sees you as his daughter. The Lord just brought to mind something. I hope I can find it. I wrote this in my journal and November 15th of 2012. To be quite honest, I can remember the gist of it. I can't remember the details, so hopefully it makes sense. But I want to read this to you. I want you to understand that I'm in this too. I'm walking in this with you. And that we're on a journey pursuing Jesus. Following Him because of the love He has poured out in our lives. And this is what it says. I'm thankful that even when I can't see it, God can still do it. When I can't see it, God can still do it. And the Lord began to speak to my heart and he said, take your next steps. Trust me. I'm the Lord who created all, am in all and control all. I neither sleep nor slumber and do not grow tired. Let me be your strength and your shield, your rock of salvation. Run to me and let me be your rest. Come to me and put my yoke. Let my yoke be your comfort. Sing to me and let my spirit renew your soul. If you can only understand that I want to do greater things in you than through you. If you can only understand that greater things are desired for you. I can trust you with your heart and with my word and with. And I can't even read my writing. Why can't you trust me in you? You are my son. And listen, if some of us today could grab hold of this. And if you even have to write this down and you have to put it on a mirror and you have to put it on your forehead so that every time you look in the mirror, you don't only see it on the mirror, but you see it on your forehead. Then put it on your forehead. But if you could grab this, um, sons, if you could grab this, daughters, that you are my son with whom I am pleased, that in Christ he doesn't see you, but he sees his son who was perfect in every way. And if you could find and figure out that he just sees me as his, that he bought me, that he purchased me with his blood, that he owns me, that I'm his, and that he is pleased. If we could only see that, how our lives would change. But you are my son with whom I am pleased. Why can't you walk in that? Let that refrain be your confidence. Let that thought give you courage. When all else is said and done, I will still be, and you will still be my son. Now be strong and courageous so that I may expand my territory through you. Trust me and do not fear the naysayers. They neither seek me or know my voice. They only seek self-righteousness that does not please me. I'll rebuke them, so do not waste your time with worry over what they think. Trust my spirit as it leads your heart and worry only about obedience to me. I have to hear those words. I have to know that God is pleased with me. And at the end of the day, I can't earn enough merits to overcome my sin. I can't earn enough merits to make him like me. He just does. And that is the amazing grace of God. That he just does. And he has sent his son to us. He loved us so much. He loved the world so much. That he sent his only son. He gave his best that we could live. And I know, listen, God, I know there are times 
When we talk about love, you're like, I ain't real crazy about that whole love thing. Love is kind of ooey gooey. Kind of reminds you of a bad Jennifer Aniston movie. You know what I'm saying? But see, I think we've got the wrong mindset of the love of God. I don't think we realize that love has great power and that love leads to great action. And that's the love that we see in God. The love that made a perfect God become a perfect man to die for imperfect people. A love that came and took on the most powerful people in the world at his time. Who shook an entire religious system to the ground. Who faced the people who were killing him and prayed for them. Who was willing to die a criminal's death even though he never committed a crime. Who was willing to be thought ill of even though in his heart he was doing the right thing and he was following the Lord's leading. And we think about this as some kind of weak God. But I would say this, the love of God is all powerful. The love of God changes the broken and it heals the broken heart and it changes and reshapes the hardest heart. It melts hearts of stone. It's the love of God that came to a broken and marred world, a broken and marred creation and gave it all for it. And it's the love of God that died on a cross, that was put in a tomb. And then three days later, walked out victoriously. That's the love of our God who took what he did not deserve so that we could have what we don't deserve. That's our God. That's the one who calls us out of a selfish way of life. Out of a religious mindset, out of setting ourselves up as our idol, as our object of worship. And says, won't you come to me? Won't you let me be your God? Won't you trust me? Won't you hear my voice saying that you're okay? I know the mistakes you've made. Why do you keep trying to hide them? I know the error of your ways. Why don't you just bring them to me? Leave them at my feet. Turn from them and live for me. Why won't you let me be your confidence and your strength? Let my love be what drives your life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about the way they live their lives for eternal things. He talks about how they do crazy things, things that seem crazy to people, um, but, but that it's the love of God that compels them to do things for the Lord, and it's the love of God that compels them to live a life that many people think are crazy. He's basically saying, I know you think it's strange that I've taken beatings, beatings for you and for other people. I know you think it's strange that I've lived the majority of my life in prison. I know that you think it's strange that I've done all of these things. For you. And it even seems like I'm out of my mind. But I'm out of my mind. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5.14. Because the love of God compels us. Are we compelled? Are we driven by the love of God? And if I could simply get you to see one thing today. It is the power of the love of God. 
to change a life, to shape your heart. I want to read a scripture to you. This is one that, that really, honestly, the Lord spoke to my heart this morning. And I've read it before and I've thought about it before, but I just feel like people here today need to hear this. You need to know this. You need to recognize this great God of hope. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14. Zephaniah is probably not the book you were instructed to read when you first became a Christian. But I want you to hear what he prophesied hundreds of years before the coming of Christ. This is what he says, Zephaniah three fourteen. Seeing, O daughter of Zion. If you didn't find it, I know it's hidden in there. Just chill. You'll be all right. Let's look at the screen. Seeing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Listen to this. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. Isn't that an awesome scripture to hang on the wall? To realize that the Lord has taken away our punishment. How did he take it away? He put it on himself. He put it on himself at the cross. He took away our punishment. He says he's turned back the enemy. Satan has no hold on you if you are in Christ through the love and the power of God and the, the price of love on the cross. He has turned back the enemy. The enemy has no hold on your life. Now fix your eyes on Christ who gives life and pursue him with everything that you have. This is why we worship God. He turned back our punishment. He took our punishment and we see his great and awesome glory. The Lord, the King of Israel is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. Don't be afraid. Don't grow weak. Look to me. Don't give up. I haven't given up on you. In verse 17, it says, The Lord your God is with you. It says, He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. And listen to this. This blows me away. The first time I read it, I had to reread it because I could not get over this verse. It says he will rejoice over you with singing. In other words, God sings over you. He rejoices over you. Does that boggle your mind? That this is the God we worship who paid our punishment and who rejoices in us. I can't fathom that. And so many of us want to bring up things. God says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that he who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And here's where most of us live. We'll read that verse and then we'll say, but God, you know. And we begin to remind God of all these things. And he's like, don't you know my love is big enough to take those things away? You can't step into your future until you let the past die. Now trust me. And we love to add a but to the end of that scripture. We need to see that God, through Christ, rejoices in us. He sings over us. Yes, you. It's you who yelled at your wife on the way to church this morning. It's you who lost your temper with your children for no apparent reason. 
Yes, you. That threw something last night with 14 seconds left in the Georgia game when he caught the pass and got tackled on the five. Hello, kicked the chair, scared the baby. You. And see, we're afraid as the church to tell people that because we're afraid if we relieve them from their guilt and their condemnation that they'll no longer follow Jesus. And the exact opposite is true. It is only until we realize that we are forgiven and free to pursue him that we can begin to follow him. And my prayer today is that we are, listen, I'm going to ask Greg. I don't know where Greg is. Greg's going to come up. Greg, you come up here. Where are you at? He's all the way in the back. I got to talk for a second. And what I want you to understand is that God is singing over you. God rejoices in you if you are in Christ. He has simply sealed you with the power of his Holy Spirit and stamped his seal of approval on your life. It was one of the greatest things I ever realized is that when I'm singing worship to God, God is singing over me. Not in some kind of worship of me, but just rejoicing in me, rejoicing in his child. And this is a thing I can guarantee you about most all of you. You've never sang a song to that kind of God that loves you unconditionally and who invites you to a relationship with him to walk out of our selfishness and to a God who gives life. To walk away from a form of godliness that pleases ourselves and into a relationship with Jesus that satisfies our soul. You tuned up there, big fella? All right. We're about to sing, and we're about to worship, and we're not going to waste this opportunity. We're going to praise the God. You gave it all for us. We're going to sing and we're going to rejoice. And listen, I want you to sing to the God that sings over you, who rejoices that you're his child. And when negative things begin to come into your mind about the things you've done, the things you said, I want you to take them captive. And I want you to bring it into obedience of Christ that says, you are mine. If we can simply grab hold of his great love, trusting our lives to the power of the Spirit of God, surrendering it all to him, finding our satisfaction in who we are as his child, we'll bring great glory to him. We will bring great glory to him and peace to our own souls. Words are inadequate. I I don't have the words. I, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit moves in your heart in this time.